like to have you turn, if you will, to John chapter 19 in your Bibles. John chapter 19. And we began our study in this chapter last, last week. <clears throat> As we were dealing with the persecution and condemnation of Jesus, as we have seen Jesus before the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, the prefect, what was hard for us, I believe, was to consider the fact that Pilate four times in the Gospels, declared Jesus innocent. Now, in our legal or justice system, we normally say it isn't that a person is innocent so much as they are not guilty. But this was a declaration that Jesus was innocent of any and all charges that were brought against him. And yet what we probably in our own minds and, th and, and thoughts couldn't understand is that even after he declared Jesus innocent, that he had him scourged. And that eventually he would allow his Roman soldiers to put a crown of thorns on his head and a purple robe around his already beaten body and parade him out in front of the religious leaders of of Israel and the people after having mocked him, calling him the King of the Jews, which of course he was. So coming to grips with, with that today, we see somewhat of a turnaround in our perspective and we'll see that as we get into our study this morning. I'd like to begin reading in verse 5. Now, we covered this last week, but this is a good place to start as far as context is concerned. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then came for, uh, Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Which means, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? And Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivereth me unto thee hath a greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha, which means a raised platform or something that is raised. And it was the preparation of the Passover in about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. And then delivered he him therefore unto them 
to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. Now, what we saw in the previous chapter, chapter 18, is how many people, those that are in the world and even some in the church, how many people see the events historically pertaining to Jesus preparing to go to the cross? And it's somewhat obvious when you look at all of chapter 18, but you realize that Christ is on trial before Pilate. But what we have observed and found happening, especially at the onset of chapter 19, is a reversal. And the reversal is that Pontius Pilate is now on trial before Jesus. It is amazing to me that this man who history records as a ruthless anti-Semite with a, and I'm using terms that I found through his historical or history books concerning Pontius Pilate and all, but he was a ruthless anti-Semite with a vindictiveness and furious temple, uh, temper, naturally inflexible, with a blend of self-will and relentlessness, corrupt and insolent, which means he was rude, disrespectful, and uh, insulting, who thought it nothing to violently seize others' property and who murdered people untried and uncondemned. It is amazing that this man, with these kind of characteristics, would be spineless and cowardly in dealing with the person of Jesus Christ in the presence of his most hated enemies, the Jews. We have seen what he did with the one that he knew to be absolutely innocent of all the charges that had been brought up against him. He proclaims him as innocent and then he scourges him and beats him. nearly to the point of death, because that's what scourging did. Now understand that there is no doubt that he had the opportunity to acquit the Lord, as only a righteous, just, uh, a righteous judge would. But instead, we saw a man that was conflicted with his decisions. How many times did we see last time that uh, here was Pilate, actually the last couple of weeks, going from chapter 18 into chapter 19, that we see Pilate going to the people, to Jesus, to people, to the, Jesus, back and forth, trying to make a decision, which was rare for somebody who made snap decisions most of the time. He went back and forth, undecided, falling into compromise, plotting and playing on the sympathy of the Jews, eventually condemning Jesus as guilty with hopes of protecting himself from the evil insinuations of the religious leaders who threatened to ruin Pilate politically if he did not agree to their demands. You see, he could have said, I find no fault in him, but go and crucify him. That's saying he was innocent, but I declare him guilty. But just think for a moment that Jesus takes our guilt. That's our guilt on the cross that he's taking on our behalf. Keep that in mind. So as we once again consider the most unrighteous trial in all of human history, and we look at it, as I said, from this unique perspective of Pilate now being on trial before Jesus, Pilate not only had the opportunity to acquit the Lord Jesus, he in fact did officially issue a judgment of acquittal. And as I said four times in the Gospels, is how many times he did it. I find, him here, I find in him no fault at all. Coming from that place and position of Pilate, that was an official judgment of acquittal. 
Jesus was brought before the Roman prefect who found him innocent of the charges brought against him. And according, listen, according to all that is, that is and should be right, according to everything that is right, the case should have been dismissed immediately and Christ should have gone free. But we know, we know that in the sovereign and providential purposes of God, that which had been settled from eternity, that the one who was born to a virgin in Bethlehem was to die upon a cross to become and to make the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That was God's plan. That was God's predetermined counsel. So it was God Almighty who alone is wise who overruled and allowed this unrighteous trial to continue. But now, it is Pilate who is on trial. And soon enough, the Jewish religious leaders and the people will place themselves on trial and even pronounce themselves as guilty. But as we get into our text this morning, the final condemnation of Jesus came in three stages. The final condemnation of Jesus came in three stages. The first was when he was rejected as the Son of Man. We saw this last time. And we read about it in verses 5 and 6. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto him, Behold the man. And as I said last week, the sense in which Pilate was saying this was, look at this man, look at what he's already gone through, look at what I've done to this man that I've declared already innocent and even had him scourged one more time. Look at him and take pity on him and drop this foolishness about crucifixion. He's been beaten enough. Enough is enough. Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Now Pilate couldn't win a battle against these Jews. No matter how hard he tried, he just couldn't get on the same page with him. He had already scourged Jesus and allowed his soldiers to mock him and beat him while wearing the crown of thorns and the robe of royalty. Pilate declared Jesus' innocence with his cowardly scourging and paraded him before his greatest accusers who became even more vile in their, in their response, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate's response, think about this. He said, take him. Take ye him and crucify him. For I find no fault in him. What Pilate said in those, in those words, what Pilate was doing in those words, was, was seeking to shift the responsibility from his shoulders to theirs. That, that's something that goes on even to this day. That's what man does all the time. Always seeking a, a, a way to, to take the responsibility off ourselves and put it on somebody else. I remember way back in the 60s, I know that was, you know, ancient times when you still use rocks to start fires, right? But I remember back in the 60s, there was a comedian named Flip Wilson who had a comedy show and, and he used to do a character named Geraldine. And she was always saying, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. You know that uh, it, it wasn't Geraldine who brought that up. The Bible did. And James, in his, in his letter, tells us that that's how sin grows in our lives. We, we're, we're the ones, you know, it's, it's not the devil. The devil, yeah, he has his own blame and he's going to get his, his own when the time comes. But he's the one that tempts, but we're the ones that bite. We're always wanting to shift the responsibility. 
As a matter of fact, even in the garden, right? The devil made me do it. God comes to Adam. Adam says, the woman you gave me. God goes to the woman. The woman says, the serpent. See? Don't blame Geraldine. Each person is responsible for his own actions. Each and every one of us has to remember that we were all born in sin because of the fall of man. Each one of us needs to take responsibility for that. And each one of us needs to come to Christ because he's the one that took the penalty for us. So Pilate tried Jesus as a man. Behold the man. And that certainly didn't satisfy the Jews. That wasn't enough that he beat him even after declaring him innocent. But it wasn't so much that Jesus was the son of man that made them so mad. It was that he claimed to be the son of God and that's what they rejected in Christ again. Not just that he was the son of man, but that he was also the son of God. Look at verses seven through nine. The Jews answered him, we have a law, they said. And by our law, he ought to die. Now, these are Jews who know somewhat of their law, but they have broken every part of their law in this whole scenario, in this whole thing that has been taking place over the last two days. They tried Jesus unjustly. They tried him at night. They arrested him at night. They did everything that the law said not to do. They beat him, they slapped him, they mistreated someone who should have been given due process, by the way. We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. Now we'll get back to that little statement in just a moment. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the judgment hall and he saith unto Jesus, whence art thou? Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now, now let's be very clear here. Going back to that statement where they said, he, uh, by our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Let's be very, very clear that Jesus never made himself to be the son of God. He never made himself to be the Son of God. Why? Because he already was the Son of God. In fact, when he came, he said, I come from my Father. He wasn't making himself the Son of God. He was declaring himself the Son of God. And not only the Son of God, he was declaring himself God. Which infuriated them even more because they did not know their scriptures. Time and again, Jesus would challenge them about the scriptures. You have the scriptures, but you don't know it. You don't know them. So he had declared himself the son of God, and that was made clear by his authority and by his actions. He was, it was made clear by the way that he spoke the word of God, the way that he preached the kingdom of God, the way that he spoke about the things of God, Everyone reacted to that. They said, this man does not speak like anyone else. Well, of course not. He was the son of God. But even more than that, and it is the Apostle John who points out seven very key miracles of Jesus to show that he was indeed the I am that he declared seven times about but it was a, certainly a lot more than that. I am being the name of God. I am, ego eimi, I am the same term that is used in translating the Hebrew to the Greek. I am that I am. And Jesus did things that people could not do. Why? Because he was the Messiah of Israel. He was the one that they should have been looking for. Now, the law that they were referring to was in Leviticus 24, verse 16, where it says, And he 
that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, because that's what they were accusing Jesus of, he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. Now, if you stop there, well, they were at least trying to use the law, you know, to, to, uh, uh, to execute someone who they claimed to be a blasphemer. But notice what it goes on to say. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him. That's how he should have been, if, 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 if indeed found guilty of, blaspheme, uh, of, of, of blasphemous words or of being a blasphemer, then they all should have uh, stoned him, as, as well as a stranger, it goes on to say, as he that is born in the land when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord shall be put to death. But stoning wasn't enough for them. They wanted to go deeper. They wanted it to hurt. You could knock somebody out with a stone and they will never feel the rest of the stones hitting them. But they knew that somebody being nailed to a cross would suffer, suffer not only the indignancy of, 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 of the of the execution, but would suffer over a, a good amount of time. But their appeal to this law before Pilate was in fact fraudulent. Since Jesus was the Son of God as he claimed, but, but he had proven it over and over and over and over again, and not too many days before this trial was happening that all of Judea, that all the land was aware of one thing that Jesus did. When Jesus came to Bethany, four days after his good friend Lazarus had died, and Lazarus's sisters were crying to him, saying, "If Lord, if you had just been here, our brother would be alive. And he went to the tomb and he asked, not asked, but he told the men to move the stone. And Jesus spoke in to the tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Everyone knew that Lazarus was dead. And Lazarus came forth, and the news spread. And I'm sure it spread into the hallways of the temple in Jerusalem, it spread into the judgment seat of Pilate, went into the halls of Herod. This person named Jesus has just brought somebody back to life. He had proven who he was over and over again. There were a number of exchanges between the religious leaders and Jesus over this issue. But one clear exchange is to be remembered. It's in John chapter 10, verse 22. I'd like for you to turn there and follow along with me. John 10, verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem the feast of the dedication, that is Hanukkah, and it was winter, our December. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him, almost like a mob, by the way. In the language, they surrounded Jesus. And they said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? Now let me ask you a question. <laughs> Why were they doubting? If Jesus had done everything that he had said he would, if Jesus showed his authority by the things that he said and the way he said it, if thou be Christ, tell us plainly, what has he been doing now for three years? And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The problem isn't me, it's you. You believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. 
And it wasn't just one work up to this point. There were many things that Jesus did. But you believe not, because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. That little phrase, as I said unto you, is saying, I've told you this time and again. How many more times do I need to tell you? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And then he makes this statement, I and my Father are one. They didn't hear anything until they heard that. And notice in verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again because it had happened before. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? For which of those works? I've opened the eyes of the blind. I've opened the ears of the deaf. I've released the tongue of the silent person, and now they speak. I've healed the sick. I've delivered those possessed with demons. And now they are sane. I've cleansed the leper and told them to go to show themselves to the priest that they are now indeed completely clean. I've done all of these things. Of, what, of which of these things are you going to stone me for? The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. You see how ridiculous that statement is? Because there's only one person that can do all of those things to prove that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah of Israel, that he is the Savior of the world. And that was Jesus himself. But they're not going to stone him for the works. They're going to stone him because he said he is. He and the Father are one. For blasphemy and because that thou being a man makest thyself God. Again, he doesn't have to make himself God. Only God could do what he did. So once again, we see that they accuse Jesus of making himself God. But Jesus' response to them is significant. Let's read on in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? He called them Elohim. Now remember that that was done for the purpose of, of, of raising up judges to judge the people but according to God's law and to judge it according to God's will. So he says, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them Elohim or gods in the sense of being judges as given authority by God himself unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest because I said I am the son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. In other words, if I don't do what my father sent me to do, then don't believe in me. But if I do, which of course he did, thou you, uh, though you believe me not, believe the works. Believe the works. Because if you believe the works, then you need to know that the one who did the works is in fact who he says he is. Believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. Now, what is strange is that we live in a world today that all of that continues to be the same way. No matter what some people may think, it's still a matter of believing and trusting that there is a God who sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This world needs saving. This world needs saving. 
the God who created the heavens and the earth and declared all things to be good when he created them is the same God that has the love enough to say it's worth saving, worth saving people. The heavens and earth will pass away. But those of us created in the image of God are still special to the one who created them. Even those who would be defiant toward him. We'll see that in just a moment. Getting back to Pilate, the religious leaders release this piece of information to the prefect, to the governor, to Pilate. He's making himself to be the son of God. That's why we want to, that's why we want to execute him. That little piece of information brought Pilate to be overcome with fear. We're told in verse 9 that Pilate went into the judgment hall again to ask Jesus in what appears to be a horrified way, where are you from? Where are you from? You might have as well said, what, what planet did you come from? And by the way, that would have been pretty accurate because he's not of this world, right? Now, Pilate was already somewhat afraid of his prisoner, but consider something that takes place at the very same time and is recorded in Matthew's Gospel. This is what's happening in this little frame of, of time. Go to Matthew 27. We need to see this. Matthew 27, verses 19 through 25. Matthew 27, 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, speaking of Pilate, when he was set down on the judgment seat. Well, this is where he makes those declarations, and, or prepares to anyway. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, Honey, don't forget to bring the bread and the milk. No, that's not what he said, right? I, I said that because I want to make sure that you all are listening to me. Okay? Paying attention. His wife sent him unto him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Now, we're not going to go into any kind of detail because we don't have detail. All we know is that she had a dream and sent him a note that said, don't have anything to do with that just man. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude. Now, while all of this is going on, they're going on through the crowd, persuading the multitude and the mob that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether the train will ye that I release unto you? Which of the two do you want me to release? They said, Barabbas. A thief, a robber, an insurrectionist, a murderer. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Messiah? Christ. They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, like good mobs do. They cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude. What was he saying to them? Hey, I'm done with this. I'm going to wash my hands. I'm innocent of, 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 of anything with this man. I'm, I'm just, I'm done. I, I, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. You do it. 
Wow. But if you think that's a wow, think about the wow that comes up in the next verse. Then answered all the people and said, His blood on us and on our children. Wow. You know that that would happen? If you don't want responsibility, we'll take it. Let his blood be on us. Well, it happened about 40 years later, in 70 AD. The Romans, under the direction of Titus, would destroy the city of Jerusalem. They would plunder it, kill millions of Jews. They would uh, tear down the temple, extract from it all the gold and all the silver that made it a beautiful, beautiful temple. And the people were scattered, scattered to the four winds. And the land would become desolate for thousands of years. And while there were many battles of all kinds in that area of, of the world, it was never again the kind of land that God had promised to the people had they just been obedient to God and to his law and to his commandments. But they condemned themselves. They tried themselves and condemned themselves with a word, his blood be on us. So let's tie all of that together now, going back to verse 9 of our text in John 19. And went again into the judgment hall, speaking of Pilate, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? You're not going to speak to me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? And Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. We're going to come after you. This one that you are trying to protect who says he's a king and you call him our king. If you're on his side, then you're no friend of Caesar's. Folks, that was Pilate's whole life. That's what he lived for. Once again, we see Pilate make a move from the people back to Jesus. I mean, this time, investigating the possibility that Jesus is truly a supernatural being. That's what made him afraid. The fact that Pilate feared acknowledges the, the historical fact that he was an extremely superstitious man. <laughs> and when it was brought to his attention that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, not to mention that he had reports brought back to him about this Jesus who was performing miracles that only God could work. In his own mind, he thought that Jesus was claiming to be the son of a God. Don't forget that he had a pagan mind. And in his own belief system, Pilate had grown up knowing about half God and half man creatures who were held up as gods to be worshipped. 
They had their own religious systems. And much of what we call today mythology is how they would look at these half-man, half-God creatures. So when he says, where are you from, and Jesus doesn't answer, I mean, that totally unnerved Pilate. I mean, there were, but, but here's the thing, there was nothing that Jesus could have said that would not have put more guilt and condemnation on the man. The real question, <coughs> excuse me, the real question was not Pilate's to Jesus. The real question before Pilate was one of justice. It was one of a prisoner's innocence and of rights that had already been totally and terribly violated. But in his fear, Pilate now begins to bully Jesus. Why are you silent? Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? I mean, what an empty claim. And there are people today who still have those kinds of empty claims. I have this power, I have that power, I have no power. But God doesn't give. And see, what kind of power did he have then? He had already declared Jesus innocent three times. He had declared Jesus innocent three times and still hadn't released him. What kind of power is that? The real prisoner that day was Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the prisoner because he was captive of his own fear, his fear of Jesus and his fear of the Jews. Pilate had power, but he was nothing more than a pawn, a pawn responsible for his own actions while God has complete control and full and ultimate power. Amen? God had full and complete control power then. He has full and complete control and power today. I want you to consider the prayer of the apostles following the healing of the lame man at the, at the gate uh, going into the temple after, after Pentecost and, and uh, uh, after the 3,000 people came to the Lord. Uh, after Peter's great preaching. It was after that time that uh, Peter, James, and John are going into the temple and, and the man at the gate uh, says, you know, he's, he's asking alms and, 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 and they said to him, you know, silver and gold have we none, but what we do have we'll give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And then all of a sudden this man is lifted up and, and all of a sudden he begins to walk and to leap and to praise God and he actually goes into the temple with the apostles. But then came the Inquisition. Then came the questioning and the threats. Not to speak in the name of Jesus, and so on and so forth. So came this prayer then of the apostles, but more than likely it was Peter praying. Anyway, a part of that prayer is Acts chapter 4, verses 26 to 28, where it says, The kings of the earth, now remember, this is a prayer. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the, his Christ or his Messiah. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, and notice verse 28, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. The predetermined counsel and wisdom of God sent his only begotten son to come to this earth to die as the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And much as we've seen the Jews condemn themselves, the world condemns itself. 
by not believing and not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so getting back to Jesus and Pilate, his last statement to Pilate was so telling. When he said, therefore he that delivered me into thee hath the greater sin. Oh, by the way, Pilate, you're not off the hook. But the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. For the Lord was referring to Caiaphas, the corrupt high priest. And most commentators believe that to be whom Jesus is referring. To whom Jesus is referring. The corrupt high priest who had long before determined that Jesus must die. And he determined it, if you remember, with a prophecy because he was the high priest. And I take you back to John 11, verses 49 to 53. Again, when all, when all of this stuff was happening with Jesus, in preparation for this grand arrest that was the, about to come, one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us or beneficial for us that one man should die for the people. This is prophecy by an unbelieving high priest. And this spake he not of himself, notice that John comments, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. That would be everyone else that has come to know Christ, both Jew and Gentile. And then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Now the one who delivered Jesus to Pilate has the greater sin because of this. Caiaphas knew the scriptures but willfully closed his eyes and he hardened his heart. Pilate was a spiritually blind pagan, ignorant of the scriptures. He didn't know the scriptures. So who then had the greater sin, you see? Now, as I said, this, of course, does not absolve or vindicate Pilate because Pilate washes his hands, but the washing of his hands doesn't cleanse his heart. When we try to shirk our responsibilities and move the responsibility over to somebody else, we become more dirty than the sin that we've committed. For we've taken no responsibility. And yet now, we have a God who loves us so much that he sent his son to take the cross that is ours deservedly and to die on that cross for us. The people had rejected Jesus as the Son of Man. Then they rejected him as the Son of God. And the third aspect of his condemnation was that now they rejected him as the Son of David. Look at verses 13 through 16 as we come to the table of communion here in just a moment. John 19, verses 13 through 16. And I'm just going to read this, and we'll come back to some of this because we need to be a little bit more uh, in-depth on it. But when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. As I said, a raised seat. And it was the preparation of the Passover. The preparation of the Passover was the moment that they were about to take the lamb for each of the households or the lambs that were supposed to be for each household. And then they were to take and execute the lamb. They were supposed to uh, kill the lamb, drain the lamb of its blood. That's the preparation for the Passover. And about the sixth hour, we'll talk about that next time. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. Notice, 
Behold your king. Now, a lot of people say that when Pilate said this, he was saying that mockingly. Personally, I'm not so sure that that was mocking. At this point now, as Caiaphas himself had to prophesy that Jesus had to die for one, be the one to die for a nation, and yet he still did not have his heart changed. Here is Pilate declaring Jesus as their king. Whether he believed it or not, he says, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? Had he now become convinced by everything said and done that Jesus was indeed the king? The chief priests answered, and how telling was this, we have no king but Caesar. Wow. Doesn't this take us back all the way to the time of Samuel? A time when God had been their king, God had been their leader, he had been that pillar of, of, of fire, uh, you know, that, that pillar of smoke by day, the pillar of uh, fire by night. You know, he had been amongst his own people. He revealed himself to them. He showed them who he was. And yet coming into the promised land and living there for a good time, then all of a sudden the people said, you know what, we want a king just like everybody else. We want a king that we can see, a king that we can hear, a king that we can feel and touch. And so what happened then? But here, in hatred of these Romans who have been over them and over them, and in their own minds are saying, no, no, we're free. They would tell Jesus, oh, no, no, we're not under any condemnation. We're not under any bondage. Of course they were, under the bondage of the Romans and the Roman Empire. And now they reveal their hearts. They would hate Jesus enough to say, we have no king but Caesar. The very Caesar that they hated and despised. And then delivered he them therefore unto them, or then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. I'll have one question to ask you before we come to the table of communion this morning. That question is, is Jesus your king today? Is Jesus your king? Because there really isn't any other king but Jesus. Now he will be crowned as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is still the king eternally. He is still the Lord over all. Is he your king?